and welcome to the Optional Podcast, episode 232 for Friday, October 29th, 2021. The Optional Podcast is a show all about video games and how they connect to the world around us, recorded each week from New York City and bounced around cables and satellites all around the world. And right into your listening device of choice. As always, I'm Paul Tamayo, and this week I'm actually uh, I'm flying solo as, uh, as my compatriot, my brother, Cam, uh, prepares to move across country. Uh, we're probably going to do a couple episodes, sadly, without Cam until uh, he's all settled and, and good to go over on the West Coast. But for now, you just, y'all just going to have to deal with me, sadly. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, it's been quite the past two weeks for, for me, or, or week and change, I should say, um, having just gotten back from traveling um, and more specifically coming back from my first ever uh, Grand Prix here in the United States over at the Circuit of the Americas. Uh, down in Austin, Texas, which was uh, quite the experience uh, and something that I'll definitely get into once we once we get into it, like into more detail. But I will say, you know, after having seen Formula One on TV week after week and, you know, this obsession really starting back in January by way of Netflix, I'm definitely one of those uh, on new newcomers to the sport. Um, I previously watched, I've mentioned this before, but I previously had seen the uh, Lewis Hamilton interview on the David Letterman uh, show that he has on there, the little talk show. That kind of piqued my interest a bit. I knew one day I would want to try to get into Formula One, and I finally did way back in January, and now it's just sort of a thing that is going to probably become a lifelong obsession. Um, and yeah, it was it was such a different environment, obviously. That energy is so electric when you're there in person with, you know, apparently... The biggest crowd to date for a Formula One event, over 400,000 people attended the U.S. Grand Prix, uh, you know, a, a week or so ago. And uh, at this point, and man, it was it was something else seeing those cars in person fly around the track at those speeds and seeing them battle with one another, seeing those gaps get shorter and shorter, especially towards the end with the fight between, you know, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton to two drivers currently in contention for the you know, this current season's championship. Um, so yeah, it was very, very exciting. I got a chance to go with my partner, my brother and his partner. And we had, we had a good time at the track, but, uh, getting to and from the track was, uh, not gonna lie. It was a nightmare. I don't think, um, I'll get into it more in detail later on, but you know, having experienced it once, I think I'm good. I don't know if I'm going to want to return, if I'm being uh, completely honest, Um, at least not until they fix some things. And I know that a lot of tracks have logistical issues because, you know, because of the nature of it, right? Usually an arena or a stadium is one place for people to just sort of circle around and you have an idea of, you know, how many exits and, and entrances you need and all that kind of stuff. But this being a track with with miles and miles of, you know, Real estate and people, it's going to be tough to organize that stuff. But even still, I feel like it's no excuse. I think they've been, it's been kind of a year. Uh, I'm sorry, it's been a, a kind of almost 10 years uh, that they've been holding the event there. So I feel like by now they should have a better idea of what they need and what they don't need. And I think what they need overall is better infrastructure, you know, in general. But I had a good time despite all that. I went all three days, baked in the sun, had a lot of SPF, thankfully, so I didn't get burned. Um, so it was, it was good overall. I mean, it, it was, I was a little sad to, to, you know, having seen my McLaren guys not perform extremely well. I mean, they did, they, they did their thing specifically Danny Ricardo ended up at, I think a P5. 
So that was fun to watch, especially his battle with Carlos Sainz, who was right behind him in the Ferrari. So all in all, I think I had a really great time. I got some merch. I, I definitely got, you know, charged for some merch, but it's okay. You know, it's just part of the experience, I guess. Um, I probably would have got hit with that, with, you know, with shipping and stuff anyway. So it, it wasn't too bad. So um, yeah, all in all, had a really great time and uh, it was cool. It definitely helped further my appreciation and my descent into my love of motorsports, specifically Formula One. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've kicked around the idea of maybe going to another race, definitely not Coda, but maybe maybe somewhere else. Um, I know Miami's on the docket for next year for the first race ever there. Makes me a little cautious about going there just because it's going to be their first time running it. So I kind of want them to maybe work out the kinks. Maybe I'll watch that one on TV. Also, I think pre-sale tickets have gone, uh, gone live and they've been through the roof. So I'm not going to go ahead and do that. And uh, there's been talk also next year of a Las Vegas race, perhaps. Um, That could sound fun. I do think no matter what, they're going to probably have to introduce more races, especially in North America, or at least in the United States itself, because, um, you know, that's, you know, a lot of people still can't travel internationally quite just yet, um, you know, with countries having certain restrictions. And this, you know, current surge, this boom in interest in Formula One by way of the Netflix show Drive to Survive, which I think everybody should watch, but also with the caveat in mind that, you know, a lot of that stuff is fabricated and it's not completely accurate to what actually happened. It's still, I think, uh, an enjoyable experience and I think a great way to introduce yourself to the sport. Just keep in mind, a lot of the, a lot of the drama is fabricated. A lot of the stuff isn't quite uh, accurate. Um, there's a lot of Frankenstein editing, but again, if you've ever seen an episode of the real housewives or Vanderpump rules or you name it, love Island, you know, a lot of that stuff can be edited in, in very interesting ways. But I say all that to say there's a growing interest, especially in the United States for formula one, and they need to open up to more tracks to alleviate that pressure from Coda. Because like I said, had a good time at the race not necessarily getting in and out of Coda itself, which made me never want to come back, at least until they fix some shit. So um, yeah, I'll get into that a little bit later, more in detail. But um, I guess since I'm flying solo, uh, I'm going to just jump right into things. All right, so since I've been away for like about a week and change, I haven't had a ton of time to play things because when I'm on vacation, I'll be real, one of the last things I want to do is kind of sit down and look at a screen for extended periods of time. Unless I'm, you know, ending the night at the hotel or at the Airbnb and I just want to watch something just to unwind. But I did get to play stuff on the plane. And one of the things I got a chance to play, I I saved for the plane, was Metroid Dread. Um, It just came out a couple weeks ago. I, again, was kind of holding off until playing it uh, until my my flight because I knew I was going to have a lot of downtime on the planes that I was going to be about to be on. So Metroid Dread, for those who don't know, is the latest installment in a long-running Metroid series. Um, It kind of, uh, it's, it's, in its original formula, by that I mean its 2D sense of uh, exploration and a little bit of shooting and, you know, picking up upgrades as you progress and backtracking and entering new areas that you couldn't access before by way of those upgrades. 
And it's it's a formula that has is like tried and true. It works so well. I my first Metroid actually was Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance, which I loved as a kid. And that one introduces this really cool mechanic where I think that's the one that introduced the mechanic where you had to sort of run away from um, this character that was basically mimicking Samus and would, would, would hunt you down very, very much like, you know, like a Mr. X or something, uh, kind of hunt you through the world and you had to, you had no choice but to run away. So it introduced a bit of like a survival horror element in that one that I think um, is definitely present here in Dread, where there are these Cam had talked about it in a previous episode at length. The Emmys, the robots that you that you run into, um, you have to avoid at all costs, at least at the front, at the top of the game. And um, it does a really good job, I think, of sort of teaching you at first that first you need to run away from them. It, it eventually teaches you there is a way to cut, you know, fight them that requires a bit of effort and finding a specific kind of resource and stuff. So, I think um, my first like initial impressions of the game so far are. I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably, if I had to guess, four, maybe five hours in. So I, I, maybe a little less than halfway, I, I would assume. Um, uh, I'm having a really good time with it. It really reminds me of Metroid. It, it reminds me of Metroid Fusion. The, the times I spent, you know, on the bus on the way to school or like at lunch, um, just really getting chased by these monsters or, uh, you know, by this enemy and having to use my my uh, my quick wits to shoot things and navigate around enemies and projectiles. And that's the other thing about this game is it's mad hard. It is extremely difficult. Um, I'm having a really good time um, with it so far. I've, I've hit a couple walls here and there, so sometimes quite literally. And but nothing that's that's a little bit out of the ordinary. I do know it does get a little bit difficult at some points, uh, just kind of knowing where to go. But so far, I've been having a good time with it. I can't wait to continue playing it. Um, I'm about. I've gotten a few upgrades so far, so I think the last one I got, I can't. I forget which one the last one I got, but um, I am able to like jump on walls and climb up walls and do that. Oh, I got the the motion. There's like a stealth suit that limits your mobility, so sometimes it really does become one of those like uh Jurassic Park moments where you have to stay still and wait for the robot to like kind of move move past you or or you know turn the other way so there is a bit of that excitement throughout the the game that I think is interesting is really fun for a Metroid game especially to do that and man the way it moves in and out and like close-ups and gives you a better feel for the world with by way of the camera because everything is 3D but it's presented to you in a 2D on a 2D plane it's really cool. You can tell that, I mean, I didn't play the 3DS version, but you can definitely tell they've learned a lot of lessons from games that have since done that very specifically to the Metroid formula. So it is kind of cool to see it modernized, you know, in the same way that it was cool to see Zelda finally learn some things from, from uh, games that that series has also inspired. So it's cool. I'm always down for when a game starts to learn and modernize itself and introduce some new things that, that make it more exciting, but also just more visually interesting because the Metroid game, especially has environments that are made of, of, of such beautiful different color palettes and very clear. I mean, not always clear, but pretty clear indications of where you need to go, what you need to shoot, how you need to shoot it. And that, sensation of like making progress through a world in which you're starting to learn to to really put to memory is is fun it's like a really cool formula and i feel like 
if you've never checked out a metro a metroid before this is a great place to jump in i feel like um there is a bit of like a recap at the beginning that kind of walks you through stuff and the story so far has been pretty interesting um i didn't i wasn't expecting that to be quite honest but um yeah i'm having a good time with it i'm having a good time with it so far uh the other game i'm i, I played very briefly before and i think this morning well i think i did uh was center forever it's the d- new dlc for horizon chase turbo um, it's a, re- it's a really cool throwback to, um, like a retro style arcade racer in the, you know, in the sense of like, it's very, very simple and basic, very polygonal. The art style is very minimal. It's, it kind of works in that, you know, old school SNES Sega style arcade racer. It kind of feels like a mix of outrun virtual racing. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It also kind of takes you through a very brief and, you know, very zoomed out look at um, Ayrton Senna, who the game is basically made as a as a sort of love letter to a very um, incredibly famous, some might say the greatest of all time, uh, Formula One racer Ayrton Senna, who's from Brazil. And uh, the, the team themselves are from Brazil. And there's even, I think it's even made in collaboration with um, the uh, Ayrton Senna Institute, I believe, which is like a, I think a, an organization that helps, it's like an education um, based uh, organization that helps with, with the youths out in Brazil. But yeah, I had a really good time. I'm having a really good time with it, I should say. There's five parts to the campaign itself that take you through some really basic racing. Like, I mean, you barely have to break in some instances. Uh, and if you get it, you know, if you, if you remember something like OutRun, it kind of, everything kind of flies past you in, at very, very high speeds. You're, um, you know, there's, they probably couldn't get the rights to a lot of the other drivers' names and the brands that were involved, but they do a good job of simplifying it and sort of blurring it in a way that makes you still get that sense of what it was, you know, what that era was like. Obviously, through a very cartoonish, simple visual art style that I think works beautifully. Um, and everything you need is in there. It's like the speed, the sense of speed, the the color, the graphics, the music. It just feels like a really well put together package that's also low key, a nice way for people to maybe get interest or gain interest in uh, Ayrton Senna. Um, And for those who are fans, I think this might be really cool for for them to revisit and get a sense of this kind of stuff and maybe even like, you know, show it to their kids or whatever. I think I think it's just a really cool package altogether. And um, yeah, I I highly recommend checking it out. It's, It's really, really awesome. Yeah, in keeping with the uh, Formula One theme, I guess, and the, and the motorsport theme of, of this week's episode, um, I'm going to recommend something that's very niche. But I think if you are interested in maybe learning more about Formula One or maybe you already have by way of, I don't know, Drive to Survive or maybe even just watching the season, um, just jumping into the season for your first time. Um, I've been listening to a podcast that came recommended to me by a lot of people once I started getting into it as well called Shift F1. It's actually, uh, it's, it's a really, really wonderful podcast, uh, obviously all about uh, the Formula One world, um, hosted by some familiar folks, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're familiar with the games space. So um, it's hosted by uh, Drew Scanlon, Daniel Dwyer, and Rob Zachney, who you may know from such things as Giant Bomb and Waypoint. Um, so, you know, they, they definitely approach it from a, a really interesting perspective and they have the, the sort of tool set to analyze it in ways that make a lot of sense and break break things down. They actually even have an episode that's a, like an F1 primer. So if you're new to Formula One, 
they like kind of walk you through the the intricacies of the sport down to like what certain flags mean, which was very helpful for me to understand at first. In addition to all the addition, in addition to all of the research I was already doing, it's it's a really great podcast. If you're watching the season for the first time yourself, I think it's a wonderful supplementary way to just understand and make a sense of and make sense of the news and the stuff that happens on track. Because as much as there is action on track, there's stuff that happens behind the scenes constantly that's kind of hard to keep up with. So it is a nice companion to to have throughout the week to just like check in on every once in a while, especially with their sort of pre-race podcast where they walk you through what the track's going to be like, some some of the news to catch you up on. You know, who got what penalty, who's expecting to have, you know, what kind of performance you're expecting to get out of certain cars. So I think if you're getting into F1 or you're curious about getting into F1, I can't recommend Shift F1 enough, especially if you might already be fans of some of these guys. I mean, I, I certainly am, uh, all three of them, to be honest. So um, it's really cool. I highly recommend checking it out. It, it came uh, recommended to me by a, a lot of people. And I'm just going to go ahead and sort of pass that forward, pass that along. So if you want to get into F1 or you're curious about even just learning about the sport after having watched uh, Drive to Survive or maybe even a documentary, check it out. It's really cool. And, you know, we also I should shamelessly plug the discord here. Um, I'll drop a link in the show notes. I'll make it very clear this time. To join the optional discord, Um, we got a motorsport channel in there, which I need to become more active in because... I, as much as I wanted to talk in there over the, over the vacation time to like sit down and be on my phone was very limited and, uh, I didn't get a chance to do that, but I'm going to definitely be hopping in there this weekend to talk about it, especially in anticipation for next weekend, next, next weekend's race, which is the, uh, the Mexican Grand Prix, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, because, uh, yeah, I love Sergio Perez. Who's the, um, the one Mexican driver on the grid. So it's going to be a home race for him. I'm I'm really excited to see what he can do in Mexico based off of what I got to see him do in, in the U.S. in Austin this, this past weekend. So, um, yeah, I can't recommend Shift F1 enough. All right, so jumping into questions for this week, man, I put the call off for some questions and I got some really amazing questions. I got to be real. Uh, Y'all came through for me, uh, especially because I needed some time to kill and some stuff to talk about. So you guys gave me plenty to do. Um, If you have any questions that you want to send our way or even my way, please be sure to uh, throw them into our questions channel, which you can find in the optional discord, like I mentioned a second ago. If you're also in the fan by discord, there's room for questions in there. Uh, just make sure you put optional in there or tag the optional because then, then I can see it. You can also send an email over to podcast at fanbyte.com and make sure you put optional in the subject line so I can catch it. And continuing our voicemail tradition, you can also call us and leave a voicemail at 424-426-3799. If you forget that, it's just 424-GAMERZZ. Uh, so, you can, so I can hear those lovely voices on the show. And wow, I got three voicemails this week from three individual Texans. Uh, so, uh, the first two questions are actually very similar. So I'm going to play those right now. And they come by way of my boy, Chase Carter. And of course, John Warren of fanbite.com head of large. Howdy, Paul. It's Chase. Uh, welcome back from my great state of Texas. Uh, even if you only made it to Austin, that's all right. Uh, so my question for you is what you like best about the city? Uh, I know you didn't get to spend 
too much time and there's a lot to see, but give me some highlights. But also, uh, what'd you like least? Texas is a dramatically different landscape, both politically, socially, geographically, from uh, where you're from. So I'm interested to see from a, a, a northerner to a southerner, what didn't sit right with you? What, what could we do better? Um, as always, thanks for the pod. Appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks. So that was Chase's, and then John's is uh, sort of similar, so I'll play that one uh, right now, too. Hi, Paul. This is John Warren. That's J-O-H-N-W-A-R-R-E-N. First time, long time. Hi. You just spent some time in my native uh, state, um, and I lived in Austin, Texas for almost eight years. And I would just love to hear from you what you think of the infrastructure of that city. Um, Anyway... Hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Okay, so uh, I'm going to start off with the goods. I'll start, I'll start off with the positives. Um, even before that, I should say, I was there from Thursday to Tuesday. Uh, we got there Thursday, kind of mid-afternoon. We, we had enough time to maybe have dinner, hit up a little Target, get some stuff, and then go back home and sleep because we were tired as hell. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday were race days. That took up the bulk of my day, at least Friday and Sunday, at least. And then um, Monday, I had a whole day there, but still nowhere near enough time to get a sense for Austin and definitely not enough to get a sense for Texas as a whole. But um, so I I will say I would love to go back sometime when there isn't a city packed full of F1 fans, you know, clogging up the restaurants and the bars and, um, you know, which, which wasn't too bad. Thankfully, I think we avoided a lot of that stuff, but Um, I will say, yeah, I would need to go back to get a better sense of Austin. So my impressions are definitely, you know, not representative of, I think the, the, the overall experience of something like traveling to Austin and and getting a sense for, for the culture and the vibe and the, you know, just the everything. Right. So, um, I will say I've had, I had some banging ass barbecue. I went to Terry Black's, um, which was really, really good. Um, the, uh, the beef ribs. I think were the standout for me. They were incredible. The brisket was all right. The pork ribs were cool. Um, but the uh, the sides were, were pretty good too. But the beef ribs, I think for us, were a clear standout. It was really, really cool. I mean, it, it was a nice experience. And um, what else did what else did I eat? I went to Gus's uh, fried chicken spot, which was, which was actually really, really good as well. Um, we went to the Oasis, which is a, a place sort of way outside of Austin, like proper, but along this really nice lake that uh, had a beautiful view. We got to see at sunset. Um, Food was all right. You know, it wasn't anything to write home about, but the drinks were, you know, they were okay as well. But um, they, uh, they, you know, we, we had a good time. They they treated us, they treated us well. And um, so, yeah, I'd say overall, obviously the food, the the barbecue was incredible. I mean, we also kind of went here and there to different spots and, um, you know, walked around, went, went through the Capitol and then, uh, I, again, we, we, I also went to Gordo's. There was there was a, a truck that made donuts. We 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 took a couple scooters down to Gordo's to get some donuts that were massive, and uh, we didn't realize how massive they were based off of how many we ordered. So uh, we wound up taking some home with us. Uh, definitely not on the scooters though. After that, we were Ubering because not only were we full of donuts, but we were we just couldn't couldn't transport those effectively on a scooter. So um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the people were very friendly. You know, I, I, anytime you you go most places down south, I feel like I remember the first time I went to like um, 
where was I? I think I was in Memphis in Tennessee. I remember like people being nice. I was like, yo, what's wrong with you? Get, get out of my face. Like, what was this guy's deal? Um, so that was nice. You know, it was beautiful. Uh, we, we got a little taste of, uh, you know, a small taste of what the, the nature side of things, you know, are probably like in Texas. Again, not, no, not anywhere near enough to really get a sense of it. So I, I think overall I had, I had a decent time. Again, not enough time to really uh, get a get a sense of what Austin and, and again, Texas proper is like. But having said that, <laughs> to answer more of John's question about infrastructure and, and stuff like that, um, I will say a lot of it has been colored by my experience getting into and out of CODA specifically, which is obviously not, again, representative of everything else, especially with 400,000 people all going to the same place. But um, I struggle with this a lot of places I go to that, you know, don't have or don't invest in public transportation and, and, and that sort of pedestrian friendly infrastructure. I've been to cities like Amsterdam and, um, you know, even places like Tokyo and, and uh, Seoul and stuff where the public transportation is, you know, it's not perfect. It certainly isn't perfect here in New York, but it does give pedestrians the chance to get around town and move about in ways that are even even just walking in ways that you know show some <laughs> some uh what's the term I'm looking for some like some consideration for people who who aren't in vehicles right so um having also previously just before the Austin trip gone to Orlando another sprawl city uh then going to Austin made me really reappreciate, even though it's crumbling here in New York, the sort of ways in which people can get around um, that doesn't require cars and aren't specifically built around cars. So I will say, um, again, Coda is a whole separate thing, but uh, Coda, I think Austin and Coda especially just is not built for the kind of sporting event that was that just happened uh 400 people coming in out of a place with a two-lane road there was one main road that had two lanes completely closed off for construction i believe and there was no construction happening so i don't know what was going on there um but it kind of really drives the point that like you know when you design these places and this infrastructure around cars and roads um it's it's a shame because you know some parts of austin definitely like the the more you know, uh, the areas with more walkable attractions and restaurants and bars, that was fine. But there was also moments where there was something that was not that far away that kind of just required a car or one of those goofy scooters that are, I think, like the worst, even though they were fun to ride. Um, You know, having been to places like LA and stuff and seeing those scooters kind of littered everywhere, it's just like, it's not quite the solution you're looking for, but I guess it is a bit of a solution, you know, in a pinch. It's like, fine, we could just take these fucking scooters here, you know, to and fro. But even then, there were some roads that we were on where I was like, oh, shit. I mean, I don't have a helmet. I'm, I'm not bringing a helmet around with me. And they do advise you to wear a helmet when you wear those things. And I would highly recommend wearing a helmet. But there were times where we were sharing the road with other cars and trucks and, and vehicles and like, it's again, it's not designed. Some streets were designed with like dedicated lanes and they had little like, you know, these tiny little barriers that probably don't do much besides maybe alert the driver that they might be, (laughs) 
going into that lane, but um, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe they are strong enough to stop them, or at least at the very least slow them down. But um, it's it still never felt like something you see in a, in another city that's built around bicycle around cycling, for example. Like you see some European cities where the cars are are built or are sort of like the the parking for the cars are built slightly a, away from the curb to allow for like a more you know. Uh, more of like a, a natural barrier to form by way of the cars that are parked there. So you do have a little bit more protection. It's a little, it's a little safer. Nothing like that, as far as I could tell. I mean, we definitely don't have that here in New York, that's for sure. I mean, not everywhere has it, but some places do. But it really did make me miss, you know, like leaving a Mets game or, or something and, and hopping into a packed seven train. Like I've never spent more than like 30 minutes, like getting out of an arena or a game here in New York. Granted, probably much, in fact, I'm I'm sure they're much smaller events and probably not 400,000 fucking people. But at least here there's a system. There's like a system that's like on a schedule and it's like, it's constantly going, you know, sometimes and (laughs) not all the time, but most times. And you know you're you're moving, but like at Coda, we were spending hours just getting to the exit because you know shuttles weren't working around the track. They they closed down a bridge when we were um, trying to make our way through the track, so we had to walk around the perimeter of the track, which if you're not familiar with, are, is basically like several miles. So we had to do all that walking in that heat, and then wait on lines that were longer than you can even imagine just to get on a bus to get out of the track, to get out of the area of the track. And um, we were hearing reports about people who were um, stranded at the track because bus drivers just straight up quit. They like they didn't want to deal with the traffic, and and you know maybe rightfully so. I think I think uh, you know if if they didn't if they didn't feel comfortable or safe doing it, and or you know they were maybe overworked. I know that there were some reports of people staff who were like working ridiculously long shifts. Like yeah, fuck it, I'm with you. Get out of there. Um, but that in turn left people to walk like four or five miles to another location with you know, with kids on the side of a road where the speed limit is like 55 miles an hour. So like that kind of stuff for me, um, no matter where I go, uh, that stuff always sticks out to me. Like the, the, the lack of walkability, the lack of public transportation, um, the reliance on cars that, you know, usually like I mentioned, um, on previous episodes, when I travel, I'm kind of low key scoping out places to see if it's somewhere I would want to live. And um, based off of the amount of driving that's necessary uh, in Austin, I feel like, or at least especially in the surrounding areas, um, that makes me not, that makes it not become a candidate. Not that, you know, not that it needs more people to to go to Austin. Because I was hearing from even like a lot of the cab drivers and stuff that there's been an influx of people coming in from California and especially from like New York and stuff. So, you know, they definitely don't need one more of us over there. But, um, but yeah, for me, that sort of thing is just not, is it's not, I don't know, it's not something that I can get accustomed to, especially after having come back to Brooklyn and literally like the first day we were back, like we went out, we had to go pick up a couple things and we never left like <laughs> a two or three block radius. There's something really, really nice that spoils you about that kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, we're piled on top of each other and we got to cram into subway sometimes, but Shit, at least I got the option, you know? That's that's what it that's what it kind of boils down to for me ultimately. But um yeah. So our next question, or my next question, comes from uh from Taylor. Hi, Paul. This is a question for the optional. It's Taylor, your coworker. 
It's been really fun to watch you get into car um, simulation games, but I'm wondering where you draw the line between, like, simulation and abstraction. I realize that past a certain point of fidelity, I just don't enjoy it. Like, if it gets too specific, my brain goes, oh, this is homework, and stops paying attention. So where is that line for you, or do you have one? Anyway, that's all. Love the podcast. Bye. This is a great question. Taylor, thank you, by the way, for doing everything you do for us here at Fanbyte. But also, thanks for the question. Um, Yeah, for me, I think I understand that sense of like, oh, there's a wall of like, okay, this is getting too into the weeds. And I'm generally not the kind of person who likes to do that level of homework or have to do that, you know, additional level of work outside of the game because I have, you know, had to like look up YouTube videos, read stuff about things and like understand, you know, even the minute details of tire strategy and fuel management and, you know, all that, all that like stuff that drivers have to deal with, even if it's at a zoomed out, like I like to call Fisher price level. Um, But I can understand where you're coming from when it comes to that. I think in general, for me, I always have to have the interest in it, but there is still a limit as of right now because whenever that um, whenever that obstacle becomes something that requires me to do more homework and I don't want to feel like I'm just sort of tinkering with things I don't understand, that's the wall for me. It's like, okay, now I know I need to do more research about tuning setups and, you know, what, you know, what the difference is between this kind of adjustment is to this part of a car. Because if I'm just, you know, fiddling with stuff, I don't know what I'm going to be breaking. I don't know what, what I'm going to be not optimizing. I might even be just like ruining a certain setup. So it's something like Forza Horizon 4, for example. Um, I, I typically don't mess around with the tuning setups in the sense of like personally customizing it. I tend to just go for like the default or even some of the save setups that people upload and I download those because there are people out there who like to do that kind of work. But for me, that might be the wall as of right now. I don't go out of my way and like fine tuning, like literally tuning the setups of the cars. I just don't have that brain for that just yet. I'm still learning how to like actually handle these cars, but that is kind of next on the horizon. But for me, that's kind of where my limit is at the moment. But, um, I could see myself really getting into that. I could see myself learning the ins and outs of that, customizing a car for my driving style. But that for me is, it's, it's, uh, I'm not quite there yet, but I could see myself getting there maybe in the near future. Okay. So our second question, or I guess our first text-based question <laughs> comes in from Grace, uh, who asks, I want to hear about all about the Grand Prix. Love seeing the vids and picks. I bet the energy was amazing. And then Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton for the title fight. So just again, real quick, I, uh, had a really great time at the Grand Prix, Definitely an unforgettable experience for my first time uh, seeing these cars on the track is just an entirely different experience than seeing it on TV. Um, but I feel like you have to really, 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 really be into it to really fully appreciate it, um, especially to deal with the uh, the nightmare that was Coda to get in and out of. Um, but my guess is, I think the safe bet is that Max will take it this year, the championship, I mean. But I, I mean, a part of me would want to see Lewis get another championship and then maybe fuck off or something. <laughs> but um, just because I would like to see Lewis break that record. I think he has, at the moment, tied with uh, Michael Schumacher 
if I'm not mistaken. So it would be cool to see Lewis shatter that record. It would mean a lot to uh, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I would like to see it. Uh, Black Sentai also follows up with, where did you sit? What did you eat? What did you buy? Um, so I sat at turn nine. I got a chance to see pretty much like half of the track from where I was because Coda is actually like very, has like some really wild elevation changes. I mean, turn one is like a roller coaster. Like they're going straight up. Apparently like all they can see is like the the sky from, from their point of view leading up to the first turn. But we sat at turn nine and we got to see basically... Like I said, half of the track right after those S curves, those like Suzuka style S curves. And then um, we got to see up until like turn 10 and 11, I think it is, uh, where that main straight, the DRS straight is. So we got to see a couple overtakes. We got to see Kimi Raikkonen spin out right before making his way towards us, which was scary and also thrilling to watch. Thankfully, we didn't see any like major crashes or anything. Uh, there's a moment in the race in which uh, I think, uh, yeah, Danny Ricardo exceeded track limits it was right where i was sitting so you'll see it on the on the uh actually we we got a chance to look at the the a bit of the broadcast afterwards when we got back to the airbnb and we definitely show up on camera we're like little tiny dots on the screen but we're we're there we're immortalized in an f1 broadcast for life baby so that was exciting that is exciting to be a part of that okay um Icy Carlos asks sort of a similar question. Where were you trackside? Any rad overtakes? What was it like seeing that battle for first person for first in person? Since it was mainly about tire strat. Tire strat stuff is always super fun to see on TV, but never thought about it in person. Um, okay, so that to answer your first question, at least this part of the question, we did see a couple rad overtakes. I um we got to see the battle closely between Danny Ricardo and Carlos Sainz as they fought for like P5, which is really exciting because every time they came back around, that's the one thing you get a sense of in person because the camera angles, I feel like on the broadcast, I think the broadcast is clearly the best way to watch a race. You're getting every camera angle from every part of the track. You're getting a helicopter shot. You're getting these cameras on wires going across the pit lane. You're getting a shot of everything and anything. But in person, what you get a real sense for is the gaps between cars. So to answer your question about the battle for first, that was exciting because, you know, in one lap, Max was ahead and then would pit. Then it was Hamilton ahead. And you would see that gap that I was talking about. You would see it in person because you see Hamilton and Max right behind him. And then, you know, a lap later, that gap got shorter just a little bit, just by a little bit. And then the next lap, it got even shorter a little bit. So you could see him gaining time on Lewis, right? So you could see them like them cutting those milliseconds and what that represented in real space and time, like in front of you with your own two eyes, um, was really cool to see up close. Um, you're, so that was fun to watch, like especially the last, you know, several laps. I say like the last five laps, it felt like Lewis was catching up to Max, but once Max got on that straightaway, it was a wrap. Like Max was just flooring it and gone like that seeing that those red bulls those honda engines in person how fast they can go from like slowing down to almost a crawl to get around that hairpin to then just like flooring it going up you know to like 200 miles an hour was something else so that was fun to watch that that was still fun to watch uh your second question also how bad also just how bad was it organized i know this is the first year um where it was max capacity 
but it feels like just about every F1 race has a horror story about organizing. Yeah, this one was pretty bad. Not gonna lie. I, I kind of got into it a little bit, but I can get, I can go a little bit more in depth, but, um, like I said on Twitter and stuff, there was at some points there's literally just a two lane road to get to and from the track, which is absurd when you factor in the amount of cars that are there to like go to the parking lot and park, the amount of Ubers that were brave enough to weather that traffic and and you know just risk their entire day for like one fare. Um, and then of course the shuttles. So we took the shuttles. You get a shuttle pass, you get like a wristband, you hop on this basically what is a coach bus that drops you off at the front gate. There were other like school bus shuttles that were cheaper. They were literally school buses that I think dropped you off further away from the track that you had to like walk towards. But on day one, we tried to get there for free practice. Uh, one, we missed because there was just traffic. There was There was so much traffic that we were at a standstill for... Ugh, I don't even know. I lost track of time. I was actually just watching it on the on the bus because thankfully the bus had Wi-Fi. Um, so people were getting out of the bus and just walking miles to the track because they were just like, "Fuck it, I'm, I'm I might as well move than not move." But that didn't that didn't prove to be the right move because eventually, after like you know twenty minutes or so, things slowly started moving and we would eventually pass the people that were walking. So it didn't seem like the right call to make, but I could understand why somebody would make it because I guess some progress is better than no progress in the moment. But yeah, I think overall, by by the way, you know, the, the roads are designed because the track is far from Austin. It's like, I would say 20, 30 minutes outside by car. And it's like past the airport, which I'm sure doesn't help things in terms of traffic. So, you know, in addition to that, like I mentioned, I, I forget if I mentioned it on the stream or on here, but um, to get to where we were sitting, you basically have to cut through the track, like through the middle of the track. And there, there are walkways in which the track surrounds you, which is kind of cool. And they built these bridges over certain parts of the track, obviously, because otherwise you have to walk around the track, which we would use to get to our seats. But what we found was after day two, after qualifying, and I I got to stick around for the W Series race also, by the way, the first W Series race, which was also really fun to watch. Shout out to Jamie Chadwick, who won the championship this year. Um, But on the way back, they closed that bridge. So there was no one coming in and out of that bridge, which forced a huge, huge, you know, crowd of people to gather and wait uh, to the point where we were just like, we should just walk around the track, which we wound up doing. And as we walked around that entire perimeter of, of like turn 10 and 11, um, we were still looking at the bridge and there was still no one going across it. So they just closed it down with no, with no explanation as far as I could tell. And people were still waiting there. Um, it took us about, you know, I don't even remember at this point, 20, 30 minutes just to walk around to get to the line to get on the shuttle. Day three, obviously, after the race was the worst in terms of the amount of people. Um, the line to get to the to get on the coach bus kind of uh, snaked its way alongside the road, up a bridge, through this like dirt part that was just kind of, you know, zigzagging to accommodate more people. It extended all the way basically to like the front entrance and it was like this big spiral. So getting getting to the end of the line was a nightmare. And once you got on the end of the line, you had to basically do laps around the front entrance of the track of the, you know, of the circuit. So I think overall Coda and the organizers have way more work to do. This was my first time going to Coda and probably my last, my first and last time going. So um, 
I don't know if I'll ever go back, to be quite honest with you. I had that much of a bad experience getting in and out of the track. Also, like inside the track, um, surprisingly enough, it was kind of hard to find places to... I think there were like two, if I'm not mistaken, refilling stations for water, which is absurd. Um, it was easier to obviously buy beer everywhere, beer and cocktails, than it was to actually find water, which is, again, nightmare. And, you know, obviously, like, the food lines were a mess. They were really, really packed. Food was obviously ex- extremely expensive. So um, around a big, basically day two and three, we wound up just not buying food there because it was just, it didn't make sense. So, yeah, it was, I think it was uh, just poorly organized. The infrastructure isn't in place, especially for over 400,000 people. That, I think, so spoiled a lot of the experience for me, to be quite honest with you. Again, I don't know if I'll ever come back. It's funny, on the way back from the flight, uh, when we landed in New York, I ran into an old coworker of mine. Um, shout out to Eddie. And we talked a little bit about it. And, and you know, I kind of, it was also his first time at an F1 race. And I asked like, oh, so, you know, like, are you, w- would you ever go back? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, I don't, probably not. And that's the sense I get from, even from our, our own little group that went to the race. We were all happy we went and did it. We're, we're glad we got to see the race. The race was exciting. That was cool. But the experience of getting to and from the race was an absolute nightmare and makes me not, or makes me want to sit out next year's Miami race, not only because those ticket prices are wild, but because it's going to be their first year kind of working out those problems. There's just been talk of uh, introducing a, a Las Vegas circuit to the calendar, I think ultimately adding more tracks to the U.S. is going to be good because it's going to alleviate the pressure from Coda, I hope. But with F1 growing in popularity here in the States, I don't think it'll ease that pressure by much. I think even if it were to cut it in half, (laughs) uh, the attendance at Coda, I still feel like Coda and Austin has a lot of work to do when it comes to transporting that many people to and from the track. Um, You know, and stuff that was like, I'm, I don't know about all the horror stories, but from the ones I've read, I heard stories about bus drivers quitting, leaving people stranded, forcing them to walk four to five miles to the next place that they could get a car. Um, you know, I heard, and the sun was brutal. For those three days, the sun was was beaten down on us. So I can't imagine how bad it must have been for people with certain conditions or, you know, uh, it just wasn't the safest and thankfully we were all in, in good health and we were all in good shape. So we were able to like walk the miles it required just to get to the exit point. But um, yeah, like I said, glad I went, glad I experienced it, but Coda, don't know if I'll ever be back. I'll be real. Um, I'm going to definitely do my due diligence next time, find out what circuits have just better. I know some circuits are even worse. Some I've, I've read horror stories about some circuits that are absolute mayhem to get out of after the race is done so i guess in the grand scheme like everything it could always be worse but yeah coda it was nice nice meeting you but probably never again uh sam writes in and asks i just got my dad set up on my ps3 and he loves racing games right now he has uh he just has burnout paradise and MotorStorm. i know there is a nascar game on ps3 are you familiar with it or can you recommend any other racing games from that generation? Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to the ones you mentioned, I think I think honestly your dad's probably going to be good with Burnout Paradise for a minute. <laughs> that game is amazing. You can pour a ton of time into uh, Burnout Paradise. I would also recommend Gran Turismo 5 or Gran Turismo 4. I forget if it's 4 or 5 or 5 and 6, but literally any of the Gran Turismos if you're 
dad wants to, you know, potentially collect the cars, work on them and like take them out for, you know, take photos of them and stuff. Like I think, I forget if those games, I think those games had that uh, option, but yeah, you can never go wrong with a Gran Turismo. Highly recommend a Gran Turismo. Just uh, get them both. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you can find both of them for, for probably pretty cheap. I forget which one is the better one. <laughs> I only played one of them, if I'm not mistaken, because um, it's been so long. Uh, okay, so our next question comes from Danny, who asks, Fanbyte finally decides to make the decision every website must make to purchase an F1 team. Who do you pick for your two seats? Uh, so pick a pair of of two current drivers and then pick two from the fanbyte staff to put behind the wheel. Wow. Okay. So, um, so I'm thinking if we decide to pick two current drivers, I'm going to go a little younger. I know I'm not trying to be ageist, but I'm trying to look out for the future of the fanbyte Scuderia fanbyte and the future of our, of our motorsport career. So I'm going to definitely go Lando. That's my, that's my guy, my little bro. Lando's our first driver, driver number one. Honestly, it'd be so easy to just say Danny Ricardo too. Basically, both McLaren drivers because we're both. Uh, I think a lot of folks here at the Fanbyte staff are, are big fans of Danny Ricardo, and we would love to see Danny Ricardo race, race for the Fanbyte flag. But I think um, if we had the option to have a couple reserve drivers, uh, honestly, probably. Let's see. Let's let's pick a couple. I mean. I want to say Gasly, Pierre Gasly. Shout out to LB. Um, it may be, oh man, this is tough. Yuki Sonoda. <laughs> so basically the McLaren and, and uh, AlphaTauri teams. Um, okay, cool. So also I know that those guys play video games. So that'd be kind of cool. Oh, in terms of two people from the Fanbyte staff, that's easy. Nikki and Mike Williams. Our fastest drivers on the team because... We went karting during our fan by retreat and uh, they were the fastest drivers. So them two, for sure. No question. I want to win. We're going to win. What are you talking about? As long as I'm like team principal, I'm cool with that. Uh, Pierre asks, um, who do you think will benefit from the, the, uh, who do you think will benefit from the car and regulation changes in 2022 and why? And can you put in context for the non-racing perverts? So I'll be honest, I haven't, haven't delved into the, the details and the weeds of what those changes are going to look like for the next year. But I would hope that the changes and regulations that are going to become in place that are going to come in place will benefit some of the teams we don't hear a lot from, like more specifically Alfa Romeo Williams, especially considering that Alex Albon is, is coming back onto the team. I would love to see those teams start to get competitive again. Alpine too. I mean, I love Alpine and like, I want to see, uh, you know, Fernando Alonso at least get a couple fantastic races in there even you know it seems like fernando alonso still has that hunger but you know it definitely feels like it's it, it would be a long shot for for fernando to maybe get a title but having watched him race previously i would love to see some of that i would love you know we would love to see that would we like to see that jackie <laughs> uh i would love to see some of that in, in next year's races and next year is going to be wild because i feel like everyone's going to be trying to figure out how to not only learn those cars but learn to play within those new regulations and so forth. So if you haven't watched this year, it's not too late to start to like watch the recaps and get a feel for what it's like in the sort of current uh, turbo hybrid era and whatever the future holds. But this is going to be an interesting transitional period for, for the sport. I feel like, um, 
Mo asks, has there ever been vaporware that you've held onto hope for for way too long? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, off the top of my head, um, episode, I mean, episode three, Half-Life 2, you know, again, I didn't play the VR game. I have it, but I want to upgrade my PC before I really jump into it. So, you know, I'm still kind of holding out hope. I don't know. I don't know if they're if they're making something, but I would love to see something from the new team, Ico team, because that for a long time, or the last Guardian, or is it the last Guardian? Was in development for what felt like damn near a decade. I think it was like seven years or some shit like that. And I, I held out hope for that for forever. I was like, because I love Team Ico. I love everything they make. For me, Tuaweda for me is like one of the goats. So um, I don't know if they are working on something, but if they are, I'll hold out hope for whatever they work on. And, you know, Take as much time as you need. And then our last uh, question comes from uh, Nikki in the in the uh, optional Discord. That's a Nickel Godzilla. Asks, uh, have you had Megan the Stallion's Popeye's sauce? If uh, And if not, will you? I have not had the sauce. And I feel like I most definitely will, especially after how F1 fans and F1 outlets even, publications, um kind of showed their asses when uh, they had a bit of a weird, weird experience interaction uh, prior to the race starting. So um, yeah, that was a bit of a, a reminder that the sport has a long way to go when it comes to its fan base, the way it approaches and discusses things. And, you know, it's, it's like everything. It's got a lot of room to grow and, uh, you know, do better, F1 fans. Stop being fucking racist. <laughs> How about that? Try that out. Try that out sometime. Give it a shot. Um, all right. Wow. I didn't think, I thought this was going to be a short episode and it turns out it was a full length ass episode of me rambling into a microphone. So I'm sorry if you hated this. If you liked it, cool? Question mark. Um, we'll be hopefully back to our regular, regular schedule program Next week, if if Cam's not on next week, I'm gonna do my best to get an, a co-host to join me um, because I definitely work better when I have someone's energy to bounce off of. So apologies again. This was sort of a, a thing I had to pick up after just getting back in town. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions and or comments, please send them over to podcast at fanbyte.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also send us questions and talk to us and our amazing community on Discord. Find a link to our Discord in our show notes as well as to the one as well as one to the Fanbyte Discord so you can see the larger extended universe. Uh, please be sure to subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Anchor, and Spotify, and whatever other podcast catchers are out there. Just look for the optional podcast. You'll find it. Tell a friend. Please tell a friend. Honestly, I find that word of mouth is probably the best way to spread the word, and I'll be real with y'all. Uh, I think a lot of folks still don't know that we're back because, <laughs> man, uh, it feels like we're starting from zero. So if you can, you know, spread the word, retweet, do whatever you can. If you if you also have the time, what really, really helps us out is rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts specifically. I know it's a lot to ask for those who don't have Apple or iCloud, you know, accounts or whatever. But if you, if you happen to have one or if you don't mind making one for the show and honestly, any other podcast you like out there, go do them a favor rate and review the show it really really goes a long way in helping us spread the word and you know it does stuff to the algorithm that i'm too dumb to understand but it does it definitely does help 
Um, as always, we are the Optional NYC on Twitter. I'm at Polymyo. That's P-O-L-I-M as in Mario, A-Y-O. You can find Fanbyte over at Fanbyte Media. And you can find the rest of the work that me and Jordan Mallory produce over at fanbyte.com slash podcast or podcast.network if you're nasty. And, you know, follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash fanbyte, fanbyte.com for guides, news, all that, all that good stuff. So until next time, everyone, peace. Channel F is a video game podcast covering today's hits, yesterday's classics, and everything in between. Join us, the staff of fanbyte.com, as we discuss what we're playing, dig up weird finds at thrift stores, and take your questions. We guarantee that listening to Channel F will make you smarter, stronger, and more successful. Proven not guaranteed. Listening to Channel F may cause joke